Hello everyone, and welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. You ever have a hard time trying to figure out what meaning of life is? I've had that plenty of times. I've had plenty of times where I've been trying to figure out what is ultimate meaning in our lives. Well, today, Stuart and Cliff Connectly from Grace Community Church over in New Canaan, Connecticut, are going to be answering that question, or at least talking about it and going through, and giving evidence that life is ultimately meaningless, that without Jesus our Savior, life has no meaning to it. But before I go ahead and play this broadcast, I want you guys to go ahead and wherever you're listening to this podcast, go ahead and put a like on it and subscribe to Next Generation Saints. I'll be uploading videos like Cliff and Stuart every Monday, and I'll be uploading my own story, my own ministry and podcasts every Wednesday. So make sure you stay tuned and subscribe. So with that in mind, I hope you're blessed by this ministry. I respect those atheists who say life is trash and I don't know why I should keep living because life is ultimately meaningless. And I respect Nietzsche and Camus and Sartre because they had the guts to face the logical consequences of their atheism. But I have very little intellectual respect for someone who says there is no God, but he's really valuable. There is no God, but I'm really significant. There is no God, but love is real. No, it's not. If there is no God, love is an animal instinct. And she doesn't love you, and he doesn't love you. You just turn them on. And if you lose your ability to turn them on, they don't love you anymore, let's be honest. And they're on to somebody else. That's all there is, guys. Face reality. Yes, sir. This isn't like a loaded question, but if you didn't believe in a God and think murder is fine, you don't have any compassion for other people, if not through God. No, false. Because my experience is, I have this ability to love, I know that atheism is wrong. Because atheism does not allow for real compassion. It allows for a biological instinct, but that's all. Why does love have to come from God? Because love is a choice, a free will decision, to work for his well-being. It's an equation of familiarity over time. That's how you like... Baloney. Love is a free decision to work for his well-being. So then how is it your God? I don't have to decide to love him. I'm not just a chemical reaction. There's a spirit. There's a soul that I have. Why does it have to be tied to God? Because if there is no God, all of reality is matter and energy. What if there's something else? Um, All of reality is matter and energy if there is no God. That's all there is, a chemical reaction. Because you guys don't live that way. No, you don't live that way. You are longing for a woman to really love you, which means not you can provide for me financially, which is not, hey, you know something, your body turns me on. You long for her to genuinely care for you, and you want to genuinely care for her, I hope. Which shows that there's more to you than just an instinct. You said that we're all primordial, we're all a bunch of ants on a rock through space. If there is no God. If there is no God, then we're all a bunch of ants on a rock through space. That's right. But if there is a God, then that implies that eternity is real, which means we're even more irrelevant. Because if eternity is real, everything we do right now is completely meaningless. It's the same way like a cockroach is to the rest of the universe. It's a prime speck of a speck of a speck. It matters in dealing with reality, 
It matters in responding to God, and it matters in responding to people. If, if he was starving, the only reason you'd feed him is because you think there's a God? No, because compassion is real. And the only way justice and compassion can be real is if there is some mind prior to the human mind who creates and defines the values of love and justice. Guys, if there is no mind prior to the human mind, who creates and defines justice and love? No one does. Oh, come on. You know better than that. That's you. How do you, if we have free will and we're not drawn to one specific definition and it changes constantly, how do we find the right one that's God's will? By searching for God. In order for me to get to know you, I got to listen to you. I can't just go out and make you up. I can't just say, okay, God, strike me with lightning and I'll believe in you. That's about as dumb as me saying to him, hey, buddy, if you really want me to get to know you, you got to do something spectacular. No, if I care about him, I'm going to work at getting to know him. It's no different. It's called developing a relationship, guys. That's what it's called. If you don't learn to develop relationships, you're going to be a very lonely person, very isolated. Let's say that, sure, God is real, and because and because God is real, suddenly everything we do matters. That's just blatantly false. Everything we do is still one decision of a hundred billion people all, who all exist in heaven and hell. And since God is beyond time as well, it's of however many humans that will ever exist. It's completely, it's still completely meaningless. It's just slightly less meaningless. If he is an accidental collection of atoms, if I am an accidental collection of atoms, he is ultimately meaningless and I am ultimately meaningless. Which means it doesn't matter what I do to him ultimately and it doesn't matter what he does to me ultimately. You choose and I choose and it's meaningless. That is exactly what we're saying. Okay, good. Now, if there is a God who created him and gave him innate value, purpose, if there is a God who created a value of compassion and justice, then it is ultimately significant how I treat him. And if I am disrespectful to him, if I murder him, that is evil. But if I love him and respect him and promote his life and treat him well, that is ultimately good. That's good in which context? To who? Reality. Reality. That is real. By that logic, it's still ultimately insignificant because reality is far too big for your actions to matter. You're not in India right now, sir. You're not in China. You're in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So now you got to live your life in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. No, so if you're dealing That's with reality, reality for you. I have compassion that comes from chemical reaction, not some mythical, my imaginary friend from when I was four years old. I get that. I feel happy. He feels happy. That's all that matters. That's, that's where it ends. All right. Why does, why does God live need it to out. be in that equation? Live it out. And if you're going to live it out, it means despair. And if you don't despair of life, you're intellectually dishonest. How do you propose that um, as different people like discuss like different relationships and like have different effects on each other and like how people are perceived differently based upon their Christian values and stuff like that? So like, how would you propose talking to someone who is not on the same path as you? Listen to him. Understand what he says, respond appropriately, listen to him, understand his philosophical presuppositions that he's making, and then respond appropriately. So if you're an atheist, I'm going to respect that, and I'm going to say, okay, now here's the evidence that God exists. If you're an agnostic, I'm going to say, okay, agnosticism is an intellectual option, but you can't live out agnostic. You know, maybe he's here, maybe he's not. Maybe he's here, maybe he's not. Well, right about now, 
I got to make a decision. Either he is here or he's not here. Either I stop swinging where his handsome face begins or I keep swinging. Okay? So agnosticism is an intellectual option. It's a practical impossibility. You can't live an agnostic life because you got to make ethical decisions every day. Do you cheat? Are you honest? Do you lie? Do you tell the truth? Do you rape, date rape, or not? You, you can't live an agnostic life. Are you racist or are you not racist? Are you going to defend abused children or are you just going to let people abuse children? You've got to make decisions. You've got to make your life. You have no choice. That's why agnosticism is not an option. But I will listen to the agnostic and try and point that out to them. You can't consistently be agnostic. And then if you're Hindu or Buddhist or Muslim, I'm going to agree with you on certain points, and then I'm going to say, but wait a second, Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, Jesus Christ, is the evidence supporting Buddha or Christ? Muhammad or Christ? The avatars of Hinduism or Christ? So that's the way I seek to listen and understand what people believe. When I'm talking to a white racist, I'm going to say, why are you racist? And inevitably, they're going to say, well, it's just because I'm the family I was born in. It's my neighborhood. We're racist. And I say, okay, fine. But in light of the fact that God created all human beings in his image, don't you think racism might be wrong? Because we all come from God. He created us. So therefore, to have a racist attitude is evil. It's sinful. But then with my liberal white Christian friend says, oh, no, 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 no. I went to an Ivy League school. And we intellectuals realize that racism is wrong. I'm going to pin him. I'm going to say, okay, fine. Why? Are you going to tell me that racism is wrong because the intellectual elite at Harvard or Yale say it's wrong? Give me a break. I could give a rip about what the intellectual elite say. The question is, what's real? And if you're a human being, not an accident, and if you've been created by God for a purpose, then my racist attitude is sinful. And so is yours. So I try to listen to people, understand where they're coming from, and then respond. Does that make sense? Thank you, sir, for raising that issue. What, isn't, is God operating on a different uh, uh, universe and the laws that abide this universe? Is he operating in his own dimension? Well, obviously, yes, he's a spirit. So then what evidence is says, there of that? Pardon? There's no, what, what evidence can you draw from looking at how the universe functions and how atoms exist? How can you... How can you look at something and say, this, this has always existed, there's no start point or end point? Design, order, demand an intelligent mind. I tried to play basketball at Davidson. I made the team, but I was the worst player on the team. I can promise you, sir, it's very hard to get a ball through a hoop 10 feet off the ground. It takes a lot of design, a lot of coordination. You guys obviously know that. You got the best basketball team in the country right now, right? So, design, order, complexity, demands an intelligent mind. It just doesn't happen by accident. Contradicts how far we've come from an evolutionary basis. No, sir. Evolution as an origin says, behind the process, there's no intelligent mind. And the Bible insists, no. Behind the process, whatever the process is, be it evolution or whatever, there's got to be an intelligent mind. It's that simple. I mean, it doesn't Sir, really require an intelligent mind. Where is the creative mechanism in evolution? So adaptation. Exactly. There is no creative mechanism 
in evolution. It's all adaptation, right? So therefore, the philosophical, not the scientific, the philosophical question is, is it more reasonable to believe that behind the process there's an intelligent mind, or is it more reasonable to believe that behind the process there's no intelligent mind, it just comes about by chance? The question is whether or not you believe in adaptation or evolution as a process. You can make a philosophical argument whether or not you believe it's like a creative being or not behind that, but I think that's up to you. But my question that I have yes. is, what are your thoughts on all morality coming from a higher being such as God? Because from my perspective, I do not like that thought process because for me, it absolves you as a human being from making all moral decisions while still allowing you to claim an infinite amount of power. I have power because I'm a human being created in the image of God, and he has given me a limited amount of power, verbal power, financial power, physical power, but I am not all powerful. I am not God. God is all powerful, I am not. Second point, in order for there to be morality, you've got to have a mind. This here, this grass, this tree, no ability to make a distinction between good and evil, justice and injustice. You've got to have a mind. So the question is, if the human mind is the oldest mind around, then it's the human mind who creates justice and love. But that means it's relative, because this human mind and this human mind and this human mind and this human mind will disagree. According to rational thinking, as I think, it's far more plausible to believe there's an eternal mind, God, who creates the value of justice, creates the value of love. Those are real values. They're not created by human beings. They're not subjective. They're not relative. You can make claim that your God is something that's eternal, that is objective. However, no matter how powerful or objective that being is, you have to make the concession that human beings are not that powerful and that we ourselves are false. So even though the God has sayings on what is acceptable or not, that must be interpreted and passed through a human being. So as soon as it comes through that human being, it is now faulty, just as all our relative reasoning is. I am faulty, but the value of justice is not faulty. I am faulty, but the value of love is not faulty. That value is defined by each of us as individuals. So you might bring your definition from a higher being, but because it is coming from you, you have admitted yourself that you are not God, so you cannot tap into his infinite wisdom or power. Therefore, you yourself are also faulty. You said our God. We're not talking about the Christian God. We're talking, talking about some type of transcendent source where you get objective morality. So it doesn't come from us. If there is a mind, if there's an immaterial form of justice, we believe there's an immaterial God of some type saying that this is directly right or wrong. That God has to be personal in order to decide what is right or wrong. That God has to be immaterial in order to create time and space. That God needs to be all-powerful because it's a pretty powerful act, I would say. And then, as a reasonable God, able to reason, he creates us as reasoning agents so there's no misinterpretation. Oh, it is hard for me however powerful that God must be to label that God's actions as justice or for them to have the sole definition of what is justice or what is injustice because those are two sides of the same coin. So my question is, how can I label that God as justice when their definition puts me at harm or when their definition comes into conflict with me and my being? 
clearly to me at least, God gave us a conscience, which actually the Bible talks about. That conscience, even Immanuel Kant agreed with, that conscience came from a source that is cross-cultural in terms of what we are obligated to do, what we should do. There are duties and values for us to follow. That makes way more sense than perhaps our evolutionary upbringing created in us a type of you should do this or should do that in order to really pass on the gene pool. I'll give you one example. One great atheist philosopher said, we descended from apes, so let us love one another. Does that make any sense whatsoever? Zero sense. Well published, let's just say. Shazlav, he's a philosopher. I would read him, I would think about that, and I would pursue also, this gentleman over here said that evolution explains everything. Evolution does not explain why we seek after truth. No animal is seeking after truth. Everything about evolution is survival of the fittest. Protect yourself, protect your tribe. There is nothing philosophically or even in our experience that says, why in the world do we seek after truth? Well, it goes back to that mind. If there's a creative God creating us creatively, creatively as human beings, we're gonna seek after truth, not just survival of the fittest in our own gene pool. Well, I do not believe that that truth exists. I think that the search of that truth is what brings us all here together in moments such as these. And why I have a hard time of believing that there is a truth such as on justice, is just because when your truth conflicts with my truth, that tension must now be resolved. So if you believe that your truth is the sole definition and the sole purpose of what its life is, and I also hold that same belief in my own truth, that now justifies us to commit violence against one another because there can only be one truth that is acceptable. So I might claim your actions are abhorrent and you might claim my actions are abhorrent as well. So rather than communicating and resolving that tension and coming to an agreed decision where we can both leave and live in unison, we now commit acts of violence to resolve to decide whose truth is more powerful. And there is absolutely yes. no way, yes. no way that I'm going to say to the KKK, oh, it's all relative, buddy. So if you want to be racist, you go right ahead. No, I am convinced that the value of justice is real because there's a just God who's created it, which means I am going to look the KKK in the face and say, I am sorry, you are wrong. All human beings have equal value, not because I'm a liberal, educated white guy. No, all human beings are valuable because we all are created in the image of God. And God creates us with purpose and meaning. So I'm sorry, my KKK friend, you're wrong in your racism. Yes, sir. So I think you said a few times that like God creates justice. No. No, you no. you didn't just say God created justice? No. I misspoke then. Oh gotcha. Okay. It's God's character that defines justice. So justice doesn't precede God. God doesn't precede justice. Because God's character is just, the value of justice has been defined by God throughout eternity. So God could have defined it differently? God can do whatever God wants, so God but no, God is just, his character is just, so therefore justice has existed as a real value throughout eternity. Seems like you have to say, God's character is justice, and it always is, like, independent of, like, what God decides, you know, or, or God is um, attributing justice to his character. My point is this, it is impossible for this 
next matter to define justice. It is impossible for this grass to define justice. It takes a thinking mind to define an intangible value like justice or love. Okay, so what do you, what do you mean by God-defined justice? What are you saying? And by exercising our consciences and our rational minds, we can begin to understand what justice is. And I don't know where you hold your cards exactly, but a lot of people would say, take a Platonistic principle and just say justice has existed out there throughout time, transcendently. And we are to live our lives to get connected with that great truth that's just kind of out there. His point, though, is you need a creative, personal mind to say and decide that's justice, that's truth, to connect with personal beings rather than just... Oh, somewhere floating out there is your truth, my truth, and let's just try and get a hold of it. Like, A cannot equal not A, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, do you think those require a same mind to, like, decide what's logical? It is logical for me to believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the historical evidence of his life, teachings, death, and resurrection points to his reliability. It is illogical for me to reject Christ. Why? Because there is no other option that is supported by more evidence than Jesus Christ. Do you, you believe that like the laws of logic like exist, right? Or no? You think God just decides what? Tell me what you believe. What's your point? What? What is your point? Oh, I, my point yes. is that if the laws of logic can just like exist, right? Yeah. Then so could maybe moral values and duties. Good. And they don't need to be tied to any, any independent man. We disagree, obviously. How, so you do believe that the laws I of logic... I think it's impossible for there to be being. thoughts yeah. without a mind. I, the I inanimate agree. does not think. Okay. It's impossible to have justice, love, which includes thinking, without a mind. It is illogical to believe that. That inanimate matter can think about logic and justice and love? No one's saying that. It's ridiculous. You're right. Totally <laughs> ridiculous. That there is a God of the universe yeah. who determines life and goodness and justice that we're talking about, and whether we want to connect with the source of life and all goodness, yeah. or not, which is living hell, starting on this planet, and yeah. goes on eternally, yeah. which makes sense, right. connecting with that God understands, wow, when we do good, we typically feel good. We feel happier. We feel better about ourselves. We're bettering community, humanity. When we do bad, we feel this moral obligation that we should have done good. Now, I'm a mental health therapist, so I, I see many people that gets a little skewed. But for the typical person who's thinking rationally and does not have an emotional issue going on, that's what they strive towards. So when you have a level of shame, typically that shame is guided towards a personal being. It's not just, I'm shameful because society sets these types of standards so I feel this shame when I break it. No, I think it's higher than that. I think there is a moral order out there that's above just our culture and society yeah. that we feel shame about. That's why an atheist who cannot have free will but is determined by their chemicals or their upbringing, when they experience shame, typically with it, most atheists that I talk to, that gets them thinking a little bit. Like, maybe I do have a free will that I did something wrong and I'm feeling the shame rather than just I'm a moist robot. So I guess, like, to ask you a genuine question, yeah. you're saying, like, you only feel shame when you lie or something, 
because you've like disappointed no, God. No, I always feel a level of shame. I think every single person does here in different kinds of ways. Yeah. And that's what I think the Bible explains best. When you do meet Christ, hopefully you're starting to live more like yeah, him. Yeah. And that shame is dissipating, but it's always there because we are flawed by the great fall in Genesis chapter 3. You know, I, don't, I don't necessarily know that you can say that like the Bible necessarily is a great basis for like feeling weird about animal suffering because I mean yeah things like sacrifice um like Passover lamb um oh the first sin you know the way that God remedies it partially is he kills an animal to clothe them right uh so it doesn't seem like Yahweh like takes a very high view of animal suffering right why are animals valuable according to your worldview what why are animals valuable according to your worldview? I don't I mean, honestly, I'm figuring it all out just like you. So, or maybe not. Maybe no, you have I'm it not all figuring it out. To exploit an animal is wrong. But to eat an animal in order to sustain your life is permissible. Deontology basically Deontology. states that, like, I know my actions are wrong because I can't universalize my actions. So if I can't go ahead and kill my friend Dylan here, why can I do that? Because like nobody else here is gonna be like, damn, like kind of messed up a little bit, right? Like nobody's gonna look at me and clap me on the shoulder. But like, hey, let's say we lived under the government where, or a society where I could go up and kill Dylan just cause like he's wearing that black jacket. I like that, I, I wanna steal it. That's how I know things are wrong, right? So truth is not determined by my belief. Truth is separate. And the challenge for me as a thinking human being is to get in touch with truth. Hopefully that's why you're here as students at this fine university. You're trying to get in touch with truth. Chemistry, chemical truth, historical truth, philosophical truth. All right, Jesus said, I am the truth. I'm God who loves you, trust in me. And the evidence of the way he lived, taught, died, and rose from the dead is, he's reliable. He's the truth. It's not that complex, guys. I don't understand why people intellectually say, because of genocide, there is no God. Because one of the requirements of your God is that he's good, you right? Yeah, he's good. So to let genocide happen to people who, if someone's genocided and they're of a different religion, what happens to them? Well, genocide is absolutely evil because it's the destruction of human life. Uh, that's not what I asked you. Well, what did you ask? If someone is genocided, let's say someone genocides Hindu people, where did all those people who were just killed go? They go before a just, loving, compassionate God who will judge all of them fairly, the same way he's going to judge you and me fairly. Okay. So what on earth is your point? The point is... If a bunch of people of a different religion are genocided, yeah. as far as I know, they don't go to heaven. Well, how, why would you believe that? Is that a common Christian belief? Was Abraham a Christian? Was Isaac a Christian? Was Rahab, the Gentile prostitute, a Christian? Was Melchizedek a Christian? Was Isaiah, Jeremiah, the great Hebrew prophets, were they Christians? The Bible insists they're gonna be in heaven because of their faith in God. I don't know how God's gonna judge those who've never heard about Christ. I don't know how God's gonna judge those who were born before Christ. I don't know how God is gonna judge someone who's born after Christ who never hears about Christ. I do not know. Do I know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Do I know that the only reason Abraham's gonna be in heaven is because Christ bled and died on a cross? Yes. It's the only way to heaven, through Christ. 
But how much does a person have to understand about Christ before they're responsible? I don't know. The Bible doesn't answer that question clearly. Does that make sense? Yep. You see, if there is no God, there is no fairness, ultimately, because there's no day of judgment, and the good die young, don't they? Yep. And people get wiped out, and, and people groups get wiped out. And if there is no God, tough luck, baby. You're born the wrong nation. You're born the wrong time. Tough luck. Suck it up. See, that's the despair of atheism. And what's so frustrating at an intellectual institution like UNC Chapel Hill is that people aren't willing to face that fact. That if there is no God, this is a joke, this thing called life. It ends in death. And baby, after death, there ain't nothing but the fertilizer pit. Now, try and live your life acknowledging that. You can't. Instead, you're going to say, well, the purpose of my life is to make a lot of money. Really? That's the purpose of human existence, to make a lot of money. Give me a break. I can and a lot of my buddies buy into that. It's called American capitalism, materialism. I'd like to invite you to Grace Community Church, located at 365 Lukeswood Road in New Canaan, Connecticut. Our services are at 9.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. on Sundays. Hope you can join us. Hello everyone, and welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Next Generation Saints featuring Give Me an Answer with Cliff Connectly and Stuart Connectly. I hope you've been blessed. I personally always enjoy it. Again, just a reminder, if you already if you haven't done it already, go ahead and like and subscribe to Next Generation Saints wherever you may listen to podcasts. So until next time, we meet again. May God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved.